0: Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm excellent, Kent. How are you today? Awesome. We've got a nice rainy day in Texas. And as I call any bit of rainfall or moisture the storm of the century, I'm chuckling but really enjoying a good little downpour, I'll tell you what. I'm sure the lawn is happy. Yeah, right. And all the other veggies out there in mom's garden. It's, uh, it's something. But um, you know what? I give a little bit of an introduction. So uh, first to Cole, thanks for joining us this morning. And to the listening audience, this is the second hour of our conversation with Cole Turner, who is the moderator of Instagram's Gurdjieff group. And this being the second hour, we were going to be transitioning to a focus on health and the Gurdjieff system. Um, you know, Cole, we're getting some really good feedback from our first conversation. People are really delighting and looking forward to this particular conversation. But do you want to give a recap and the transition to the current subject matter?
1: Sure. So, you know, I'm thrilled that, um, you know, your listeners enjoyed the first hour. It was very enjoyable for the idea of uh, works of art that contain you know secret knowledge or hidden knowledge that's not available always to the average uh, you know viewer of that or viewer of that type of art and that sometimes it's we have an opportunity to decode some of that or you know extract some of that information with diligent study and you know perhaps with a little bit of luck Hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah. Can't shortchange that element. Okay. And so one of the things that Gurdjieff left us was a, his, his book, um, which is one of three books that uh, he left in a series. And this book was called Beelzebub's Tales to His Grandson, or uh-huh. All and Everything. Okay. So this book was written by Gurdjieff to hold all of his ideas and um, he says is, one, is the most um, comprehensive view of his system, albeit written in a form that is often very challenging to, to digest. So what I mean by that is that the book is very, it's a narrative. So you have the story of Beelzebub who is the, known as in popular literature and, you know, normally as the Lord of the Flies or one of, you know, the chief demons of, of, you know, our realm. But Gurdjieff sets him as a redemptive character who is apologetic and has remorse for, for his previous ways. And after spending some time in isolation, um, reflecting on the things that he'd done, he was able to come back and the story takes place on a spaceship that Beelzebub lives on as he is talking and sharing the tales of, of earth and their unfortunates, as he puts them, um, to his grandson huh fascinating it is and when i first discovered the book i was i was shocked because it has this this sci-fi element to it with you know spaceships and um you know interstellar travel and things like that um while at the same time putting it in a very contextually you know spiritual or personal development type of um type of lens
0: huh okay i see the i I mean numerous other texts rather uh anticipate uh so i think immediately about uh thus spoke zarathustra
1: that's right that's another good example of kind of putting a philosophical system into the mouth of um you know a somewhat fictional character
0: that's right That's right. It just showcases it. If you could put it, it makes it a little bit easier to digest, right? There's nothing like a story.
1: That's right. And you can, you know, for subject matter that is, you know, very complex and and somewhat challenging to be able to, to kind of visualize or to, you know, imagine it coming out of someone's mouth and that person giving practical examples of, um, you know, ideas that are otherwise not very practical is a, a really interesting format that um yeah that, that immediately drew me in and and caused me to to want to study it more
0: right how about that for the for the narrative and then it extending obviously to that portion of art that Gurdjieff is focused on right like um, the level of the author as well as the level of the audience just the narrative or the story is a perfect vessel for uh, or a vehicle rather for um, you know for the ideas
1: that's right so in one of the the the, the tales or the stories that are recounted to uh, Beelzebub's grandson Hassan is of the Archangel Heraton who, within the story is responsible for the creation and the invention of certain types of uh, vehicles. So like spaceships. And your Jeff describes the, the building of the spaceship and how it, um, how it works, the materials that, use it, that are used and a number of other different uh, pieces to, to the equation so with that, you know, I became very interested in this this idea that you know Gurdjieff had an understanding of some other type of um, propulsion or other type of um, device or mechanism that was outside of the um our typical understanding of of energy production using combustion or um You know, more recently, things like, uh, you know, chemical reactions like batteries and, um, you know, solar panels and things like that. So the idea was that every planet in the solar system or in the universe has an atmosphere. And if you can create the correct shape or the correct vehicle, you can utilize that atmosphere to for propulsion or for any any number of other things.
0: Hmm. Okay.
1: So, uh, with that, I went off and I started researching, you know, these types of ideas and came across a Austrian inventor, forest mystic type of guy um, called Victor Schauberger. And okay. Victor Schauberger was extremely interested in, natural world and our ability to understand the laws that govern our world by observing nature and he spent a lot of time observing uh riverways and the oh my gosh
0: is this the water wizard yes it is oh my gosh this is this is amazing go ahead
1: so the water wizard victor schauberger used his observational skills to understand certain principles about the movement of water. And one observation that he made was regarding how fish are seemingly able to dart upstream against the current without much force or effort. And so in studying this, he recognized that there are certain fluid dynamics at work that allow the water flowing downstream to actually have a propulsion on the fish's body to allow it to go upstream very easily. So those type of principles Victor Schauberger took and made a number of discoveries and inventions regarding the production of electricity, um, the distribution of electricity, the renaturing or um, you know, structuring of waterways so that the water flowed more efficiently and more in line with how it wants to, for lack right. of better terms. Like and- he was
0: transformative across industries, right? Whether it was fishing, whether it was uh, lumber or electricity, right? And for the time now, he was. Oh, this is fascinating. He, uh, for the time, so he was a contemporary of Hitler and not for nothing, they brought him in to understand what he was doing. Right. Because, um, well, I mean, hell yeah, you can imagine the harnessing of those kind of resources for the
1: work for the war effort would have been amazing. That's exactly right. And so Victor Schauberger, because of his ideas and his prominence at the time, he, as you mentioned, became known to Hitler during that time, and they brought him on. And it's speculated that he played a large role in the um, the development of the Nazi-like secret space program regarding, you know, uh, flying saucers and things like that.
0: That's right. And that goes right with the Thule Society. It stands to reason that those kind of experiments. Oh, that's the point, right? Like to make use of the context for motion, right? Like everything has a natural process that's going to facilitate its motion through resistance
1: in a context, right? Right. Exactly. And it's how do we, if we can properly understand those mechanisms, then you know, we can use them to our advantage to get to where we want to go. So this idea of understanding the fluid dynamics of water or, you know, the fluid dynamics of air gives us the opportunity to use those dynamics and use those understandings to then apply them to new, you know, technological innovation. Right. Okay. And so I think that's something that, that Victor Schauberger did, and he really made an effort to bring the ideas in a practical way to, to industry. Um, but like many who came before him and after him, the attempts to overturn some of the um, you know, ingrained and invested ways of doing things was not always met with a huge amount of receptivity, especially right. from industrialists who are already <laughs> invested in other. That's right less efficient ways Other opinions. and as a bit of a corollary you know my it's my personal opinion that in some ways this is what really stifles a lot of the innovation and the creativity and the problem solving that is available to us is that there are big players who are heavily invested in the way things are and there's no motivation for them to overturn that that apple cart
0: that's right. That's right. Because they've got the reins and the benefit, right?
1: That's right. And so despite that, you know, I still continued forward and continued to do my research. I read, you know, everything I could on Victor Schauberger. I tried to understand, you know, his ideas and then apply some of that, that learning to the challenge that Gurdjieff sets out when he discusses perpetual motion in his, in his book.
0: interesting so he describes the
1: perpetual motion for humanity at one time became almost a a type of illness that people were so obsessed with trying to figure this out that they you know let their entire world come to a halt all for the pursuance of this this somewhat impossible goal
0: Mm.
1: and so I took that as a warning to say not to get too obsessed with the idea of you know, over unity or something out of nothing. Um, but instead
0: over unity, I'm sorry to talk over you. Help Help me me out out with
1: that. So over unity is like another term for like perpetual motion in the sense that the output is greater than the inputs. Mm, And so, okay. And so this idea that you can have a greater (laughs) output than you do inputs, um, is one of the reasons that the idea of perpetual motion gets a bad rap in my mind because nothing really works like that. There's always a cause and effect and there's a equal and opposite reaction. So I put my mind to say, how can I put something together or, or figure something out or invent something that would not necessarily produce something out of nothing, but be more efficient than, you know, the standard solutions.
0: You know what? You, you couldn't have said it better if you, if you don't mind, you know, we were in conversation prior to this and, you know, I, it's not so outlandish, but your crucial point, the crux of it is it's, it's against established norms and practices, right? Like, Uh, it's not so far out of the ordinary, excuse me. I don't think it's at least feasible, but it only makes sense that you could extend those resources to not only hit efficiency or peak efficiency, but to exceed the resources, right? Like um, I think it's more than harnessing. It's seeing those insights and really, and really being able to churn out something that's uh, how about, grandiose, right? Like at another scale of operations. It, it sounds counterintuitive, but um, that's only in light of the standard orthodoxy, right? Like until we dare to surpass that threshold, only then can we consider if not enjoy uh, that project, those assorted projects or endeavors, right? That's right. Don't mind me. Go ahead. Sorry and it really,
1: it really comes to Um, You know, it's a great point because it goes back to our previous conversation around, um, you know, be willing, being willing to, um, you know, to look at something and say, you know, this could be better. And that's, you know, they say mother uh, necessity is the mother of invention. And, you know, if you can look at something and, and know what you need it to do better and apply your your determination and and that then you know sometimes a eureka moment will happen and right. it kind of did for me in in montreal in around 2000 and 2009 i was sitting on on my balcony at the time with my friends and i just had this this image that i had been kind of trying to work out and it had to do with gurdjieff's Ray of creation and you know the seven different worlds that we talked about and putting that in a diagram and the standard diagram used to describe those ideas is the is the enneagram the nine pointed star with um, some connecting lines that uh, you know we can put up uh, perhaps later but a simple search on the enneagram would would give you some some diagrams for your listeners is
0: that what you sent over it is isn't it what you just sent over isn't it. Um,
1: No, okay. I'm not sure which one that is. Um, but the, the Enneagram is used to describe some of the ideas, but then using the diagram of the worlds, so world number one, world number three, world number six, uh, 12, 24, and 48 and 96. So excuse me, worlds one to seven with their associated laws governing them. Yes, so with some mathematics and some some diagrams, I was able to put something together that started to look a bit like a whirlpool or a, a vortex. And mm, okay. so I continued with this idea and discovered a technology that has been around for a while called a solar updraft tower. And this solar updraft tower basically makes use of convection. So you have a greenhouse on the ground that captures the heat from the sun and then funnels that warm air toward a central chimney. And because the temperature at the top of the chimney is colder than the air below it, it creates a suction that pulls the air up, as well as operating on the natural principles of the hot air rising. Mm, Right. Okay. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, completely.
1: So with that solar updraft tower, um, some of the limitations are that they have to be so large to produce the right amount of energy. And what I noticed was that once the hot air leaves the chimney it's dissipated and that momentum is lost Mm -hmm. so i thought to myself how can i bring that momentum and maintain that momentum of the air and put it back into the system so what i effectively did is took another solar updraft tower flipped it upside down and stacked it on the, old, the existing solar updraft tower. So as the hot air rose up through the chimney and cooled, as it rose, the air was going to fall down as it started to cool. So as the air travels over the surface of the top of the new solar updraft tower, it can then funnel back into the lower one, and start the process over. Mm, okay. So, in this manner, you're able to conserve more energy, but also, more importantly, to build up a certain momentum or kinetic energy within the air or within water. So, I'm taking notes there, as we're doing this. <clears throat> so from, from there, I recognized that as myself, you know, a college dropout, um, you know, I have big ideas, but this notion I quickly became aware was, you know, far too, too large for me to take on on my own. So in the principle of KISS, the KISS principle, keep it simple, uh-huh. um, I said, what is the base component that I can work on that will solve one of the many challenges that this type of endeavor would, would bring to light. So after reading about solar updraft towers quite a bit, I noticed that one of the biggest downsides was the ability to build structures large enough and cheaply enough that would produce enough electricity to make them economically viable. Okay. So I set out to create a structural system that would allow you to build large open air, columnless greenhouses that would be able to capture this type of wind energy, solar energy, and then eventually take that component, that building component, and find a way to work with others in order to more flesh out this idea.
0: Wow. Uh, Sing it, dude. So can I ask if in in case um, we were getting here because we were talking about health and then the fullest enumeration, I think I'm a little bit familiar with your project. Um, You know, I'm going to bring everyone up to speed if they're tuning in. We're talking about health. We're talking about the Gurdjieff system and your platform of harnessing resources for health. I mean, this is right in line with what Gurdjieff is
1: talking about anyway. That's right. And, you know, health is something that kind of unites us all. And I think that, you know, our current situation that we're in with, you know, whatever you want to call the current situation that we're in. um, I think that it's bringing to light that everyone cares about health and it's, it's important to everyone. So, it's one motivation that has been a constant stream for me and a reason for me wanting to do this because Victor Schauberger says that one of the main reasons for the decline of health for both human beings, but also, you know, for the world at large is the extraction of energy through the destruction of matter Mm. and extracting the energy through destruction and that is easily illustrated in all of almost all of our current forms of um, electrical production, whether it be internal combustion um, or even atomic power. Right. And so, it's taking the opposite approach of how do we harness energy and produce energy in a way that's not destroying something in the. As a result, and right. I think this is one of the perennial questions that goes hand to hand hand in hand with health is, you know, how can we produce enough to allow us to be healthy human beings and have, you know, all that we need for, you know, as you put it, our head, heart, and hands. That's right. Without destroying the world and our planet as a as a result.
0: That's right. Like cultural consumptive practices, much less those consumptive ideas, right? Like this is a complete reordering of not only of approach, but the belief that we don't have to malign everything, right? We don't have to use it and all. We can have the, certainly the we're going to have to make use of some resources, right? But the creation outstripping the oh my gosh, I didn't want to use that word. Uh, the, The creation, excuse me, the product outstripping or, um, what would be the word for that? Outperforming the usages? How would you phrase it? What would Gurdjieff say about it?
1: I think that what Gurdjieff would say about it is that we waste a huge amount. Yes. And we, because of that waste, we can't do what we want. And, you know, a lot of people are obsessed with you know, producing more energy, you know, having more energy, um, doing exercises to, you know, to have more energy. But at the end of the day, if you have a hole in your gas tank, no matter how Mm. much you fill it up, it's not going to be, you know, as efficient as a sealed tank is going to be. Right. So Schauberger puts it in a, in a way that he says, you know, all the symptoms of our society, the ills of our society are in part due to the fact that we rely on destruction for our ongoing creation. And I think that's a reality that we that we live in. But it doesn't mean that we have to be so inefficient, so inefficient and so wasteful. That's right. And so how it relates to food and how it relates to health is that you know, after I was able to, to prototype my designs and, and get the the technology patented, I set myself more firmly to this question of, of food, and specifically food waste. So people like to say that, you know, there's not enough food to go around, or the world is overcrowded, or any number of other, you know, notions, which I think are, are mostly false. Um, yes. in terms of the overall food production on the planet, over 50% of that food ends up in the garbage every, every day. Um, and that's on, uh, you know, across all sectors, you know, individuals, um, institutions, businesses, collectives. right. There's all kinds of food waste. Not to mention all of the, you know, barren land around the world that is, you know, either held by large landowners or, you know, any number of other reasons. That's right. If you do a simple calculation of, you know, the total arable land, or even more broadly, the total uh, landmass on the earth, there's more than enough um, land to go around for everyone currently living.
0: That's right. There's plenty for for everyone, right? Like the myths about population or, excuse me, o- overpopulation or all of this, right, are just meant to insulate and distance us from the realities that this is uh, a viable venture to explore, right? Whether Gurdjieff or Schoenberger's, it's Schoenberger, help me out with the name again.
1: Schauberger. F- Schauberger. C H A U Schau, and then B-E-R-G-E-R. Got it.
0: Okay, Cole, take it away.
1: Yeah, so you know, great, great segue there, and um, so with this this notion of you know food waste, and that you know, I continue to to work on on these ideas, and really, you know, make an effort to to understand what the real pain points are in in our current world, and you know, a lot of it comes down to food and. Gurdjieff puts it back to this idea that we need food for our survival, but we also need certain types of food for our uh, individual development. And so he puts the idea that there are three different types of foods. The one food is the food that we know of that you put in your mouth that, you know, is digested by your stomach and yada, yada, yada. hmm The second type of food would be the air that we breathe. And then the third type of food would be impressions. So what we receive from our senses. Interesting. Okay. So if we take this idea that, you know, it's important to be conscious of the food that you eat and to choose the right inputs and the healthy foods to put into your body, are we applying that same reasoning that same logic to the other foods that Gurdjieff describes right so are we able to consciously take in the air that we breathe does the type of air that we breathe make a difference to you know the functioning of our body do the type of impressions that we receive you know through our sensations can we receive those more more consciously and integrate them more easily And so this notion of digestion and um, the food factory goes also into Gurdjieff's cosmology in that there's a quote, reciprocal maintenance that goes on in the world that everyone is a part of. And it's put more simply, it's this idea that everything is food in some way or another for something else.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's in this way that Kharjeev is able to have a almost, I guess you could put it as like a closed system in the sense that everything is connected and works together. Yes. But at the same time, there are unique attributes and a unique exchange that helps to maintain the, the universe at large.
0: This goes to is mechanized structure, right? Everything is interrelated as well as interdependent,
1: right? That's right. And another notion that Gurdjieff brought about was this idea that everything is material.
0: Mm, and that, right. Okay.
1: This notion is becoming more popular now with the, you know, the search for the quote God particle or for, um, you know, like the Higgs boson or even string theory. This notion right. that, everything that we see or see or perceive or that is in the, you know, physical universe is in some form or another physical
0: stuff. Yes.
1: And so in this way, because it's all material, it means that there's a certain material to perceptions. And if we know that the human body can transform food, like, you know, blueberries into Mm -hmm. something that's going to help the body function more effectively, then perhaps there are those mechanisms as well that can help aid in the digestion of air or perceptions. Uh. So I think when we're, when we're talking about health and we want to look at it from a holistic perspective, there's a need to, to consider those inputs across those three types of of food that we can
0: digest. And and he's not limiting it there, though. He's talking about anything that you can imbibe and digest, right? I mean, this is going to include everything, right? Like the extension of his system anyway. I see that it can be wholly applicable, right? Like we're talking about health, and he's going to put it as far as inputs. Is that right?
1: Well, he's going to say that, um, if we're able to so if we put it in a practical perspective um, I think you mentioned the term alchemy um, last hour that and so this notion of alchemy is, is very interesting to me and it it's a, another system of thought that we have that um, can be described as um, you know a legomenism in the sense that people look at alchemy and think that it was people who were literally obsessed with turning base physical metals into gold. Right. And perhaps that is true. And there are people who, you know, perhaps found success in doing that at one point. But that's an example of how someone with their center of gravity focused on the material on having, you know, more physical wealth, more gold that's where they're going to place their attention and their focus and their efforts. So through that analogy and through that, that, that image of converting these base metals to actual physical gold, it weeds out a lot of people who have some perhaps impure, uh, for lack of better terms, desires when it comes to what they want. But then for those who have the eyes to see, they can understand, or perhaps through teachings, they can be taught that this alchemical process can also be applied to, to food. Yeah. And converting, you know, perhaps negative impressions or negative emotions to, to something else that will serve us better. Mm. And so this is where that kind of individual responsibility comes in you know, we, in a certain sense, if we rely on other people to feed us, we're going to be subject to what it is they want to feed us. So if we want a cheap meal, you can go and get, you know, a burger, but you don't have much choice in terms of the quality of that burger. Right. But if you, you know, perhaps really eat that burger with a high degree of awareness or intention or um, presence perhaps you can mitigate some of the the downsides of eating the food perhaps with no presence or mechanically
0: this is like the biggest uh what did you call it earlier the red pill right like (laughs) applying this formula i mean this is the this is an awesome scavenger hunt i'll tell you what a treasure hunt right
1: like what is outside of this purview that's right and that's one of the reasons why it 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 continues to um you know to provide so much insight for me because the more you dig in the more you the more understanding you have the more verification that is available and it becomes like a snowball that you can integrate more and more and more. And that's a big part of, of the work and it takes a long time to get to that level of, um, integration that, you know, you have a real understanding and I'm, I'm still getting there and still working away. And it's, it's a constant process because, Your circumstances and your environment are always changing.
0: That's right. You you know, we were talking, you know, I don't know if it was our personal conversation or in the uh, previous hour, we were talking about the idea of identification and so Gurdjieff, correct me if I'm wrong, is saying, while you can identify with everything and anything, what is best in terms of health is to verify everything. So only those items that you can verify, much less pressing the, the, that line a little bit, the threshold of whether it's a good or not, and the type of food or inputs that we're utilizing is going to ident- is going to, hold on if we're verifying it, we can identify whether it's good and then also identify as it, as a worthy input.
1: Yeah, and that's right, because with the identification, in a certain way, you become the thing.
0: Yes. So
1: if you become the food that you eat, are you communicating... To your body, in the right way, and in a sense, giving it the right context for what it's supposed to do with the food that you're taking in. And this is kind of, I think, discussed more. Um, there's a, a lot more to it than than I'm really giving it justice right now. Um, but it's this it's this notion that Gurjiev says that you know food is is everywhere and as you put it um from our previous hour or our previous conversation one way or another the world is going to extract something from your existence that it requires and in a certain way performing one of the reasons that that you're here that we're here as individual human beings yes and Gurdjieff says that there are two ways that you know it can go. You can mechanically fulfill your purpose as a human being, um, and or you can consciously fulfill your purpose. The difference being that if you mechanically fulfill your purpose, you're not going to get anything out of it
0: that's right you're just grist for the
1: mill that's exactly right whereas if you can figure out how to fulfill your purpose so in the example of the fish in the stream the water is flowing down the stream nothing is going to stop the stream from flowing well rather the fish is not going to stop the stream from flowing yes but if the fish situates itself properly in the environment and does the right things, it can use that energy to go in the opposite direction.
0: That's right. And if not with the flow that is provided or counter to it, they've got the means of succeeding and being healthy by virtue of, well, well, is this a critical fish? Is this a self-conscious fish? I mean, that's the human dilemma, right? We don't know what kind of thoughts the fish is going to have in order to swim with or against the uh, current, cultural or otherwise, right? Uh, The applicability of his analogy, though, certainly isn't lost on me. He's got a beautiful system. The inclusivity to it, the the promise, right? And the promise born of work and investment, much in the form of daily, if not minute-to-minute, it's not introspection, it's engagement
1: and effort. That's right. Intentional yeah. attention.
0: Intentional attention. Would you speak to that?
1: So, yes. The there are there are three types of attention in the Gurdjieff system. So there's a type of automatic attention that you know, I stub my toe and I physically feel that and I'm automatically, my attention is, is going to go there. Mm-hmm. That would be a type of automatic attention. Then there's a type of emotional attention where something outside of you draws your attention in. Something okay. like the, the television or, um, you know, a really engrossing book that you really want to read. It's drawing your attention. And then there's intentional attention. So as we spoke about last hour, um, putting your attention in the physical sensation of, you know, let's say the sole of your left foot. That's right. That's a type of intentional attention that we can see is distinct from the other two types of attention.
0: So, Paying that mind, right? Like <clears throat> the focus on the foot, you were saying about how, you know, life rears its head and you'll be paying attention to other things. So the the sensations of the foot are gradually lessened and lessened as your attention goes elsewhere. So providing the intentional attention on the self. What are the What is the spectrum of that? I mean, that's, again, head, heart, and hands. That's thoughts. That's emotions. That's not only the body, but the initiatives or the behaviors in the real world. How does he structure that?
1: So, Gurdjieff says that man uh, in his current state, or as man number one, man number two, or man number three, yes, has no definitive aim or center of gravity they have an automatic center of gravity that is centered around either the physical emotion, or me- emotional or mental. Okay. And so one of the reasons why Gurdjieff says this is that it ties into his idea of the plurality of eyes, which means that this idea that as we are now as human beings, we have, we're not made up of one individual unified eye, were made up of disparate groups of individual eyes within our personality that A, don't necessarily know that they're just one part of you know, a bigger group. They don't necessarily know the desires and you know, wishes and uh, likes and dislikes of other eyes. Um, and put more bluntly, one eye can make a decision and the other eye has to live with it.
0: Oh, that's right. Yeah, we're so scattered and disconnected, right?
1: Exactly. And, you know, we can verify this on, everyone can verify this. You know, we set out to, um, you know, to eat differently, to, um, you know, to wake up at a certain time in the morning every day. And the intention that you go to bed with isn't always, you know, the intention or the eye that you end up within the morning. And so mm. this is one of the reasons for Gerjeff saying that man cannot do as he is. As as we are, everything is, is done. Everything happens. And so, you know, if, if that is the case, and if that, that is our state, when it comes to health, you know, what is that? What is that equal? You know, we have to take what we're given because we don't necessarily have the initiative to or the organization or the environment to, um, you know, create the inputs that are going to allow us to to further our goals. Right. But the one of the challenging parts of Gurdjieff's system that is in somewhat contrary to some of the more, you know, love and light, new age um, kind of... <laughs> everything is perfect idea is that the universe is not necessarily structured for your success. You know, that bitter pill it is. And it's, it's a tough one. And it's, it remains a tough one for me to, um, you know, to always accept because it seems somewhat, you know, unfair, but we can see that everything in nature you know, corresponds to to that idea. You know, every season, the oak tree will produce, you know, thousands of of acorns. And, you know, maybe a 100 of those acorns take take root and and sprout. And then maybe, you know, one of those 100, um, you know, ends up becoming a small tree. Right. So is that fair? you know, the tree is still continuing to, to propagate itself. And, but is it so fair for those other acorns that get lost in the dirt? Well, from one perspective, they don't become a tree, but they become nutrients for the soil and for the ground that, you know, can then help support the tree that does survive.
0: That's right. That's right. They have their place in it. Uh, regardless of reaching their own fulfillment or not even that, like uh, that's not, that's not, that's the point, right? Like their fulfillment may not be in the tree. Their fulfillment might be in being grist for the mill or a food stuff. That is his point,
1: right? That's right. Hmm. And it's no small point because it's, it's quite disconcerting in many ways because gurdjieff says that this notion that everyone and again this this is one of his more controversial ideas that everyone this notion that everyone has a soul or is 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 just is false he claims that most people at the end of the day will quote die like a dog
0: that's so mean keep going dude (laughs) Can you imagine like on our listeners behalf, a few people are just all, what, how does he reach there?
1: Well, I mean, we can, again, on a grand scale, you know, it may be hard to, to integrate and see, but on, from our everyday experience, we, you know, we see that every day. I see that, you know, in myself when, you know, I'm not always in touch with, you know, how I wish to be or, you know, what I really want. And so am I moving toward that, that goal of the fish to, you know, get upstream and, um, you know, propagate or am I going with the flow and I'm gonna end up in the ma- mouth of a bear? That's right. And so in that way, the choice the choice is yours.
0: That's right. Like making that decision, right? Like uh, let's play with the fish analogy. The fish making the decision to go upstream, right, is all part of it. But the it is a portion of this greater structure while it makes that decision, while it reaches fulfillment. Also, that fulfillment might be as still food down the line. Although that's, that's the thing. Inexorably, that's where you go. Period. At base, you are feeding a weather yourself on your path, but also um it's not just cultural um machinations it's natural mechanations, right it's natural mechanized processes
1: and it's this notion that unless you're willing to to pay for your existence to repay the gift you've been given of being mm. you know incarnated on this with these opportunities in this body unless you're paying for your existence intentionally that payment will be extracted at some point. Mm. And so it's one of the things, it's one of the ideas that really also motivates me because it is so, so uh, iconoclastic in a certain way or, you know, against the stream and that we're, we're fighting an uphill battle. And, you know, a lot of people like to get caught up these days in like, you know, this notion of, I mean, not just these days, like it's an ongoing idea of like this notion that there's a true good and evil in the world. Yes. And Gurdjieff says in his, in Beelzebub's tales that the person in the past who invented this notion of evil is he, they created something that, has had catastrophic effects for for humanity on planet earth because it suggests that there is a, that it, it basically suggests that god created evil and i don't believe and that And hence earth. accepts it, right? condones That's right. it. That's right. And people who truly accept that, they, you know, maybe I won't won't speak to that, but you can imagine once you accept that, how easy it is to identify with that notion that you're somehow taking part in some positive action through your, you know, ill-maligned intent.
0: That's right. That's right. You can,
1: it, it, not only does
0: it make it so it's necessary that there's evil, but it also gives you the means
1: of joining in that evil as a no- natural, regular course. That's right. And so, although it may not exist objectively, at, objectively, exactly within the system, it exists within the human psyche and people That's act right. on it, which ends up making it somewhat real.
0: That's right. You know what? This. I gotta say, Cole, this is only enjoyable. This is such great pleasure. Um, you know, I, I, and thank you. Um, we were talking about this and we were talking about how this, this program of his, um, it's so it's consistent. It's inclusive. You know what I really like about it is that It's the approachability of it. And it doesn't feel like he's bringing in all of these outlandish variables to satisfy his audience. He's got a very structured platform and it makes sense. You know, like I I look at it and I go, the drawbacks to it. You know, the things that he brings into play are sourced from ancients, but he's really delivered something for the modern audience. Excuse me.
1: That's right it's absolutely applicable and you know we live in a scientific world where you know every day i have to hear someone say you know trust the science or something some other trope but hmm. when you ask them those same people to apply the scientific method or pejoratively known as science to their own lives they they refuse and that's right so this level of, of contradiction is somewhat unbearable um, for me, but also within the work context continues to serve as an ongoing reminder of, of myself and, you know, how, I, how I wish to be in the moment. And that's part of the, the alchemical process or, you know, transmutation that, can you can easily see with your perceptions, right? So yeah, when we you know when someone's acting really you know offensive to me, um, my normal way of being is to become offended that they're offended, and so the process continues. Um, That's right. You know, I think if they say like violence begets violence. And, you know, so how do you stop the cycle? And I think that's really the conundrum that we face as a society is that we have all these people who are caught up in, you know, generational trauma. Um, and many of, you know, the villains that we perceive on the, the world scale are in many cases, you know, some of the biggest victims. That's right. And that doesn't excuse their, their behavior and you know what what certain people have done but what it suggests is that we're all conditioned you know we're all in the same boat
0: right and the way out of it or the way to the better model let have you is only active critical engagement
1: and reflection on and taking responsibility for um you know how you're that are always there because we so often demand these elevated opinions and, or these, you know, we put these these expectations on people outside of us to be, you know, to be perfect, like, you know, the perfect politician or the perfect, um, you know, CEO or, but the reality is, is that, you know, no one's perfect. And by suspending your own disbelief and, you know, idolizing those people. Are you really doing the work that you need to get what you want, or are you satisfying yourself by identifying with with other people?
0: That's right. That process. It's. Uh, I mean, that's a hefty workload, right? But say, la vie, right? Like right. But look at it and go, this is your opportunity and your responsibility. It's always a double-edged sword. I really appreciate, though, how he puts the reins in the hand of the individual, right? Like, uh, as far as their beliefs, their actions, every, every action, right? The thought, the belief, and the activity, right? Comes down to verification and investigation.
1: That's right. That's right. And... That's why it continues to, to remain fresh for me, because as much as it's about the ideas and it's about Gurdjieff and it's about the exercises and all that, it's really an investment in yourself and it's an investigation of yourself. And you know it's a map that you can help you, to guide you through that investigation and to put it within a context that makes it functional for you and, and helps you to go you know, where you want to go. Uh Um, while at the same time being immensely creative.
0: That's right. Like, you're granted, there's such um, liberty and power afforded the individual with this, right? Like, um, it's as rewarding and joyous as one chooses to make it, considering or predicated only on that investigation that work and that
1: effort to to remember yourself
0: so you know what we're we're coming on an hour now you know what i'd like to make this very practical and you know if i can i'd really like to have you back on here Uh, like schedule it as a weekly endeavor you know that's what i that's what i'd want to ask for right now if you could give people an exercise or a practice to put into play and then, you know, to invite people to, incur, to engage your work, uh, much less the original text that Gurdjieff has offered. How would you map that out?
1: So for anyone listening who's interested in in verifying a little bit of of what I've said today and what we're talking about, I would... Challenge them to accept to do a small exercise. And this exercise is called the left foot exercise that we've alluded to earlier. The difference for this time is that you're asked to accept, as a small experiment on yourself, the intention to remember the sensation. In your left foot as often as you can for let's say the next day or seven days and when you do remember perhaps make note of it on a piece of paper or take a moment to to make a real effort to remember that moment Mm -hmm. and with that you will have some material with which to make some perhaps some more understanding for yourself in terms of where you are and how able you are to pay attention
0: intentionally. It's really something I'm aware of like the, the, that standardization of practice across, you know, intellectual or mental, emotional or physical realms. And uh, I mean, it can be daunting,
1: right? It can. And it's often something that I recognize in myself that I have a tendency sometimes to overcomplicate things so that I give myself an excuse not to do it. Ah, okay. And it's a tricky thing, but that's where the simplicity of that exercise that I just described is that it doesn't. Although it requires a large effort, it doesn't require a lot of time.
0: No, no, that's right. That's right. You're not going to be setting up uh, a schedule to do this. You know what? You know what strikes me via analogy is I'm thinking about. Um, I want to say that it's the platonic dialogue of the symposium. And as these guys are getting together to enjoy a night of merrymaking, Socrates has been lagging from his original group. And when they send someone back to grab him, they catch him. They describe it as him staring off in the heavens on a on a portico. And he said that the stars caught him and You know, when, if people are familiar with his idea of the daemon, him engaging his little voice, right? And he would identify it as an internal voice separate from his own. And, you know, like, that's like the first take on a conscience, right? The internal voice. And you think about his practice. I'm thinking that, uh, you know, I'm sure that Gurdjieff had some familiarity with Plato, but that practice of getting present right? Getting struck by wonder or, you know, really getting curious about your own existence to investigate those realms and get, um, you know, conscious of your identification with all of these variables. It's, um, you know, it's still very approachable, but that's the human that's the human challenge, right? Like it could be overbearing. There's a lot to take in, but I think we're up to the task. And I think that's what Gurdjieff is really mapping out. He goes, This is your game.
1: That's right. And he there's a lot of speculation of, you know, how Gurdjieff got his knowledge or um the reason why he he brought it to the West, but it's it's my opinion that the people he studied with, and the schools that that he went to and and seeked out, they recognized in you know the early twentieth century, you know nineteen twenties or nineteen hundred to you know nineteen thirty, those groups anticipated that we were reaching a level within human relations that um, things were going to change in a very big way, very quickly, and. You know, we, we saw that, you know, from, you know, the beginning of the 20th century up to, you know, today, we've seen changes that we, you know, could have never imagined. Right. And with that, a whole new set of challenges and, you know, a whole new worldview that is not as easily understood with, you know, the previous modes of, of spirituality or, or religion.
0: That's right. That's right. The transition between epochs, if you that, will.
1: Exactly. And so go right. ahead. Yeah. I think that we're that we're growing up as a as a civilization, as a society, as you know, as human beings. And you know, when you grow up, you have to leave the house and you know start to take responsibility for yourself. And I think that's that's where we are and that's the birthing pains that you know, I think that that we're feeling today. Uh, very well said. Um, give us a roadmap forward, Cole. So moving forward, I'm I'm continuing to, you know, to work to honor the you know memory in any way I can of, of Mr. Gerjeff and Mr. Bennett and Ospensky and all of the students past and present of the work. Um, but also to you know continue on my own endeavors to you know, at one point I wanted to, you know, to make a lot of money and to become wealthy and influential and, you know, that would be okay. But at the end of the day, it's a lot of responsibility and there's a lot of hazard that goes along with that. Um, so if, if those opportunities, you know, come to me and hopefully I, I can honor them, but otherwise, you know, my goals are to, to share the ideas that I have and, you know, to try to work with others to you know, make, make as, make the world a better place. Um, And also for me individually to have more satisfaction.
0: Oh, that's right. You know, I, uh, I think right in line with other greats, this is a system that can be, you know, certainly applicable, but pertinent to those who care to engage the work. And you know what, I'm really excited that you've taken the time to share with us and guide us as to these opportunities of health. So, you know, again, I'd like to thank Cole Turner for joining us on this occasion. I'd welcome and invite folks to contact him. He's on Instagram, the moderating the uh, Gurjeff group. That'd be, uh, help me out with pronunciation, Gurdjieff group. Um, and that's G U R D J I E F F group. No space between them, right? Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah, that's, this is fascinating and delectable food for thought. And I'm going to look forward to the next occasion and we've got some other conversations coming up. So with that, Cole, I'm going to wrap it up. I'm really thankful for you joining us again and I'll look forward to the next conversation with you.
1: Kent, thank you again for the opportunity, and thank you to all your listeners for uh, for your attention. And yes, if you have any questions, reach out to me on Instagram, or you know, seek out some of the books or resources um, that are you know quite available online regarding uh, Mr. Jeff's work.
0: How about it? I mean, that's a good closure. How about uh, would you name those three or four texts? That that would be uh, you know most instructive to the audience.
1: I'll name three texts, and I'll try okay. to name three that would be you know approachable for different people. Okay. Um, in terms of a narrative that's kind of that reads a bit like an adventure novel, um, "Our Life with Mr. Gurdjieff" by uh, the Hartmans, Thomas and Olga de Hartman, um, is a wonderful book about. The early travels of Gurdjieff through the through the east and with a group of other of other seekers. Um, Then there is um, Mr. Gurdjieff's magnum opus as I mentioned Beelzebub's tales to his grandson Um, and then the third probably most popular way that people um, get into the ideas is In Search of the Miraculous by okay. P.D.O. Spensky,
0: I've, I've written them down several times and I'm still doing it. Okay. Uh, then I, I'm going to be adding on to my reading list as well. And uh, Cole, I look forward to touching base about this. Me Folks, too. Uh, we'll schedule that next routine. Um, for those in the listening audience, you know, one of the main things that we're pressing on with homegrown chats is two specific principles and that's the matter of you matter and also you are not alone so the perspectives to health and success inclusive health and success together um is what is of interest here and those are the conversations that were encouraging and welcoming and uh well, you show that off so very well and we're thankful um yeah let's keep it going and I'll look forward to the next session
1: Excellent. Me too, Kent. Thanks again.
0: All right, cool. Be well. Guys, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you on the next conversation.